welcome to another episode of The Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I am Anya Crittenton, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News, and as always, I am joined by... I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a pop culture journalist in the Washington, D.C. area and a USA Today contributor. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area as well. And this week, we are actually joined by a special guest, Lauren Shire. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Lauren? Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I majored in film at Cal State Monterey Bay, and since then, have gone on to be a film aficionado and uh, a big horror genre lover. So I'm hoping to uh, share the love of horror with this podcast. (laughs) Awesome. So speaking of horror, Willoughby, what's our topic this week? Ironically, horror. No. Uh, We are talking about horror today and we're because of it's Halloween. Uh, and we want to, you know, kind of do like a theme episode. And we also want to talk about horror because it's a divisive topic. Like, uh, the three of us, uh, Anya, HD, and I, we aren't big fans of it, but Lauren is. So we want to talk about why it's so polarizing. And then our second part of the episode, we'll be talking about the different subgenres of horror, horror, including vampires, werewolves, and all the different types of stuff that gets mashed together. Awesome. So, Lauren, why do you like horror? Because none of us really do. Um, yeah, well, I think for me, how I started off liking horror was actually with the discovery of a little show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, <laughs> HT is, like, real happy right now. <laughs> yes. I am. <laughs> that is, to this day, still my favorite TV show. Um, and that show, what it really did well was introducing the monster as metaphor aspect, which they used so effectively. And from there, once I was introduced to that show at a young age, I brought it out and started getting interested in, in horror film and horror other horror television shows. And what I discovered that I really liked is the fact that... Um, you know the genre is is so different especially when it comes to different monsters uh vampires werewolves ghosts etc you know they have such a rich and diverse lore uh that expands throughout the globe and sometimes the mythology can go back hundreds of years and i love seeing the way that different directors and writers interpret these monsters and recreate them and even subvert them at times uh for the big screen it's just fascinating to me yeah, and it's interesting you bring up the mythological element and the fact that Buffy's about vampires. Because um, I don't know about H.P. and Willoughby, but, like, I'm always... I can usually handle those. I liked Buffy as well. I'm usually more afraid of, like, exorcism films, ghost films, mm-hmm. slasher films. Um, I think part of it is the fact that I have a really overactive imagination. So when I am alone in my bedroom at night and it's dark and I've just seen a horror movie... All my brain can do is think about it, even though I'm like, don't think about it. You know, you'll get scared. But it's like, all right, let's reimagine all those scenes you just saw that really freaked you out. Now you're alone and I can't sleep. So I think that's part of my problem with horror. And it's less so with like vampire films because it's more fantasy. Than I real. completely agree, because I also have a very overactive imagination. It doesn't take a horror film to, for me to freak myself out. I will just be <laughs> sitting at night by myself in the dark, and I'll just be like, what lurks beyond the corner? Which I think is what 
play, a lot of horror films play in, just kind of like those mm-hmm. primal fears that we have about, you know, what is beyond, like, the darkness. And they um, want to scare you, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't like being scared. <laughs> I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I love all the... I, I love fantasy and all that kind of stuff. I think it, when it comes to horror, I can't watch, like, a slasher film or, like, something that that is made to scare people because mm-hmm. I just don't like being scared. But if it's, like, a really well-written story and there's scariness into it and there's, like, if it's a well-crafted movie or well-crafted book or a well-crafted TV show that also scares me, I'm okay with it. But if it's just scaring for the sake of scaring, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I feel like there's a difference between those kind of films that just scare you for the shakes, for the sake of like getting a jump scare out of you, and what you were talking about earlier, Lauren, about um, monster as a metaphor, which I'm also a big fan of, and I know there are a lot of movies yeah. coming out recently that use that monster as metaphor um, trope, like uh, It Follows and The Babadook, which I've heard of, and it, they really intrigued me, but because yes. I am scared of horror, I can't watch them. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is one of like the kind of powers that horror has of just kind of man- making like a fear that we have this unknown fear and like manifest into physical form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it follows in the Babadook are two really great examples um, of monsters as metaphor. And those, those films are, are both amazing. Uh, it follows, you know, really harkens back to, which I love to, um, it has sort of an eighties vibe. Um, and the, the soundtrack is really has this whole synth aspect to it, which was really interesting. Uh, and you know, I've read that that film in particular is really a metaphor for growing up and the fear of adulthood. Um, and then the Babadook is this wonderful film about a mother and her child. And I've read for that, that it's a metaphor for postpartum depression. And it's just the fact that these directors and writers are able to come up with that and use horror in such a way to tell these stories is just so amazing. And I love it. (laughs) Interesting. Um, that they, there are these, you know, deeper meanings behind these films. Um, because I think that's another thing for me is that like, besides being scared, there's always been a part of me that's a bit uneasy with horror, and I think Lauren, you might be able to comment on this more, is that, like, maybe more so older films, but, like, horror films can be extremely misogynistic, um, especially mm-hmm. with, like, the virgin trope, um, which, you know, comes across very much as, like, slut-shaming, that, like, the girls who have had sex will die, but the yep. virgin, as a pure one, you know, will survive. And so I've always been a little uneasy, and maybe that's more of an older sort of trope that we're getting away from now. Um, But I've always kind of seen horror as a genre that can perpetuate misogynistic ideas. Oh, yeah. No, no. You're definitely, definitely right. Um, Especially with with older films um, and in the slasher genre. Uh, And I think with exorcism films, because a lot of exorcism films, the person that's being possessed is usually a a young woman. but luckily, I think uh, more directors and filmmakers are shying away from that and kind of even in ways flipping that narrative because it has gotten so old at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I love, and it's I hate it as well. So I love when new films come out that kind of rework that because it's really overdone at this point. Yeah, I think, yeah. It's, I think it's very common in like the slasher film that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, it's this thing where we can't see a naked woman on screen without expecting her to be 
violently murdered or assaulted in some way. And, like, there's this whole, like, kind of phallic thing with, like, penetration of the knife and everything like that. So I feel like that is definitely something that horror hasn't exactly gotten over. But, yeah, I think that it's just, um, it's a problem that kind of still exists throughout the horror genre. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about um, the different genres of horror? Because we've talked a lot about slasher and kind of how that came about, like, in the 80s. But, Lauren, why don't you kind of tell us, like, give a little bit of a lowdown on all the different kinds of of horror that we can see. Yes. Well, I mean, there's, you know, the typical monsters, zombies, vampires, uh, werewolves, ghosts. Um, And then you get into the meta category, which is really fun with films like Cabin in the Woods. It follows uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. Um, And then you can move on to one of my favorite genres or subgenres in the horror film, which is the horror comedy. Uh, And when you hit those two notes and you get that sweet spot of the perfect combination of a horror and comedy film that is gold to me um <laughs> yeah i i absolutely love it um and uh one of my favorite horror comedy films uh that i really recommend is a little new zealand film called what we do in the shadows so great I love that. yes we all saw that movie we just, like, <laughs> Yay! Actually just, uh, rewatched that with a friend yesterday and she loved it more than she thought she ever would It's so great. It is so, so great. Just the notion of these vampires living in modern day, three of them, and having to live as roommates in a flat and deal with being vampires but also being roommates and all of the hassle that comes along with that is just And the humor is so great. It's so dry. Yeah. Like, it's so funny. And, like, shout out to Jermaine Clement, part of Flight of the Concords. I love him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's so great in that film. He, uh, I was reading up on the trivia, and apparently he based his performance off of Gary Oldman in Dracula. <laughs> I can see it. That's great. Right. Perfect. <laughs> I can see it. So, do you think? Do you think that horror comedy? Because, like, I also really love horror com. Like, that's the kind of horror I can do. I like some of my favorite films: um, Young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. So great. So funny. So funny. Um, and then, like, Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. uh, Edgar Wright's film with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg uh, about zombies. Uh, do you think these try and, like, dismantle tropes of horror? And, you know, how do you find that sweet spot of a horror comedy? Uh, you know, that's a good question. When it comes to dismantling, I I can't think of any off the top of my head that really, in that category, I, I think more maybe in the meta category, yeah, yeah. where I see the dismantling of that trope. But But for the sweet spot of what I like for horror comedy is... I have a very dark sense of humor and I think that fits well with the horror comedy subgenre because it's the type of horror that it's just so absurd and so out there and so deadpan a lot of the time. Um, one example, another film I can think of is the film Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I've heard of that, um, I've heard that heard movie, of it. actually. I've yeah. seen it. <laughs> Can you it's, give a, a small description about what it's about? Yes, it's really great. It's um, it takes place where these there's these two uh, sort of redneck hillbillies living in the woods, but they're really sweet guys. Um, one of them is played by Alan Tudyk uh, of Firefly fame. Awesome. Um, and they're just these sweet guys living in the woods, doing their thing, and these group of typical teenagers who are travel to the woods to, you know, vacation in their summer cabin. And through a series of misfortunate events and uh, misunderstandings, 
um, these teenagers think that these redneck hillbillies are coming to kill them, but that's totally not it at all. And they're just trying to live their lives out there. And so these accidents keep happening and the kids keep thinking that they're in fear for their lives. And the two rednecks are like, no, we're not trying to kill you. Like, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> so it's, it's really, really well done and really funny. Um, it is a bit bloody. Uh, there, there are some, yeah, there's some gruesome kills, uh, just, but if it's like, (laughs) I feel like gruesome is one of those things where it's like, depending on how you do it, if it's like so excessive that it's, Mm -hmm. you know, like Quentin Tarantino type of violence or like, you know, violence that's like, it's so over the top that you're kind of like, okay, it's not. Is it kind of that kind of gruesome yeah. where you can be like, oh, okay. You know? yeah, it's, it's outlandish, not really realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it's so over the top that you're like, what is happening? Um, and that's where a lot of the humor came in for me because it was just so crazy. Uh, but I really recommend that one. It's a great one. Awesome. Yeah, comedy. And like on this note, I just think it, it's a comedic film, but it also becomes sort of a cult film as Hocus Pocus. Yes. Which is not really a horror film, but it's become kind of this, like, very worshipped, like, Halloween film. There's a really great article, um, I'm going to shout this out, on Birth Movies Death um, about Hocus Pocus and why it's become so revered. And one of the things they say is that while it might not be horror, there are some really, like, fun, kind of scary, spooky elements about it. And it's one of those films that really embraces Halloween. And you feel like a lot of horror films don't really do that so like they don't play into like the really like fun like tropes of like witchy and spookiness of halloween even the movie halloween <laughs> yeah <right? laughs> which is just a stand-in for another slasher film yeah mm-hmm. and so it's fun to see those films kind of embrace the more like cultural aspects of this time of year no, I agree. Yeah. I think it's a, especially a beloved film amongst, like, our generation, because we grew up watching mm-hmm. it, like, on cable, I think, especially reruns, because they air it, like, every year. I knew that the college we all went to had, like, Hocus Pocus screenings. Did they? Oh. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so fun. <laughs> right? And, like, well, and I, I'd be remiss not to mention it for a millennial podcast, because, right. like, the Halloween film the for millennials. Halloween. <laughs> it's so great, yeah. So, yeah, what other kind of genres out there for horror that maybe people who don't really like horror so much um well if we want to get into the more uh gothic sense there's the uh, film crimson peak which came out uh last weekend and i highly recommend it it was very very well done um and that is definitely i think a good film for people who aren't super into horror because it's mainly a, a period drama with ghosts in it. <laughs> I agree. Um, I, I went to see yeah. it. We, me and Willoughby actually went to see it last week, and I loved it because gothic romance is actually my favorite literary genre, and it was just basically a film that had all the tropes of gothic romance stuffed in there. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, in a gothic romance, you have the brooding Byronic hero who has a secret and that's, like, traumatizing him from his past, and it's probably in his attic. And... <laughs> <laughs> And in this one, the brooding Byronic hero has all the secrets in his attic. Yeah. And every other floor of the house. Yes. So I'm the only... You know, go ahead. Oh, it's a beautifully made, like, decadent film. And, yeah, you wouldn't really expect a horror film to be kind of set in that period either. Um, Which is... Well, you don't really see a lot of gothic romance movies Mm -hmm. unless Mm -hmm. they're about 
unless they're adaptations of gothic romance novels. Yes, or like a vampire film, or they're like about a gothic house that is set in like the present day, right? Like, like, like if trying to like yeah. eat the woman or something. But it's hard. Yeah. It's I don't think I've ever seen one where it's actually like a, a, a quote unquote original story set in the gothic romance period. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a love letter to that genre, which I really loved. Yeah. So, Guillermo del Toro does a lot of love letters. Yeah, recently. that seems to be his <laughs> thing. He just jumps from genre to genre, making love letters to each one. Yeah, so. and we should make a love letter to him because he's so wonderful. He is I great. Love him. He is. Um, so I, I'm the only one who hasn't seen it. Um, but I kind of want to ask. So, one of my favorite Halloween films um, is Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. It's mm-hmm. my favorite Tim Burton Johnny Depp film. Uh, it was the first R-rated movie I ever saw, so it has that special place in my heart. Um, and, it, you know, I, I kind of love it, and I sort of wonder if it's, is Crimson Peak sort of similar, and the fact that, like, Sleepy Hollow is quite, you know, gothic, and it has your hero, like, Bud Crane, your feminine, your feminine, your female lead, Katrina Van Tassel, um, and I sort of wonder, are there some similarities between them? Do you think if I love Sleepy Hollow, I will also like Crimson Peak? I'd yeah. say so. Yeah. yeah. It's very similar in terms of, of I'd say, tone, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think Sleepy Hollow is more, I want to say, humorous. Like, it's got that more, it's obviously, a, like, a, a Tim Burton's to- tone. Yeah, is, like that, that kind of yeah. winking. Yeah. Sort of quirky. Tim Burton. Yeah. Quir- quirky, mm-hmm. where Guillermo del Toro is more of, like, uh, like, winking at the audience with, like, look, we're doing a trope here. Mm-hmm. But it's not, <laughs> it's not so... Um, blatant that you're like oh well and now it's this yeah. part it's it's more like oh this is cute yeah del toro does it without like a hint of irony he just does it because he loves it yeah whereas i think tim burton everything he does has some semblance of irony in it okay mm-hmm. okay then i think i definitely have to check crimson peak out i mean there there are definitely scary moments that you would that are scary yeah it gets um, pretty okay. gory at some points um not mm-hmm. super gory though yeah. well, there's a lot of red yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but red can be used in interesting ways. Oh, yeah. It's yes. definitely used in, diff- in, in very interesting ways. Yeah. it's It reminded me a lot of, like, the fight scene in Kill Bill in the snow. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, very much that kind of striking oh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, contrast with yeah. the snow and the blood. Really beautiful. Like it's really gorgeous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if anything, seed for the cinematography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and Tom Hiddleston, but, but you know. Yeah, yes. there was some <laughs> coined yeah. last week. I did, uh, apparently I didn't coin it because oh, no. other people on the internet thought of it before me, but oh. I thought of it at that moment yeah. on my own, so it was, it was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lauren, I want to ask, why do we think that um, horror today isn't as associated with, like, all these other subgenres, just, like, gothic romance, and then, like, there's the old-school monster movies, like mm-hmm. Godzilla, or even... The Wolfman. The Wolfman, um, or even just, like, Nosferatu, and that, those kind of films, and we just kind of associate very much now with, like, slasher fix, such as, um, I don't know, the... Scream? Scream. Well, that, that's oh, actually that a meta comedy, yeah. That is a meta comedy. Yeah. Oh, what's the mm-hmm. other one? Uh, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, and like found footage. All, films. A lot of the Wes Craven films, yeah, Wes yeah. Craven films, and then like also movies that just have a lot of jump scares, like Paranormal Activity, which is kind of I guess its like own the genre. found footage. Yeah, yes, I saw the new one yesterday. Oh. <laughs> does it does it hold up to the first one? No. Um, yeah, uh, I'll go. I'll go into that. Um, but I think for in terms of why we associate horror with, like, 
slasher films and and the jump scares i think is because it they're popular for some reason um people flock to those films and you know since they make money hollywood keeps making them and um i think maybe one of the reasons could be possibly because they're simple. They're a simple premise. You know, you have a killer who's after a group of teenagers. And sometimes uh, there can be more read into it, and it can be um, really well-written and well-done, but sometimes they're just really simple. It's like, you know, a countdown until everyone's dead. And people, I think, like just the simple aspect of it and like going in and being scared. And... um also, you know, like with the, the Paranormal Activity movies, uh, the first one especially, they're cheap to make, um, so therefore they keep getting made, and then they make a huge return. <laughs> yeah. um, and with the latest Paranormal Activity movie, uh, this was the first one that was in 3D, and you could see the activity is what was, was on the posters. <laughs> After five years, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, doesn't that kind of take away... The, the horror part of it because like I, I've seen the first paranormal activity um I'm like it terrif- it terrified me you don't see much but like the way they set up suspense in that movie is so great but so terrifying but like mm-hmm. so doesn't don't you think like letting the audience see more is almost taking away the scary part of it yeah no the in this one I think the aspect of being able to see the the activity was it was cool in some ways. Like it was cool at first, like, Oh wow, look at that. You know, but it got kind of old pretty fast. And then towards the end, especially when all hell was breaking loose, um, it got kind of cheesy really fast. Mm. (laughs) Um, so I think it hindered it in some ways. And, you know, I've seen all of these films. My, my boyfriend and I go to all of these movies and, um, good date nights. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, we every every time we get sucked in thinking, oh, they're finally going to explain stuff, and it's going to be really good. And then every time it's like, oh, this is what you know, anticlimactic ending. Okay, <laughs> that was it. All right, like, but we get suckered in every time, and I think that's what happens with a lot of people is the hype for it for these types of movies get so built up, um, you know, and the the trailers are so well done. And that you go and you expect maybe a lot, but you're not given that much in return. <laughs> okay. Sadly. So I want to, I really want to jump into like meta, but I have going off of this, like what people like, there's a question that I want to talk about. And I don't want to do this at the end because it's kind of a downer subgenre of horror. <laughs> so I want to make sure I get to that before we get to like meta and stuff that's going to be a bit more upbeat. Um, so one of the genres that I, I will never, ever get into, cannot support is sort of like the misanthropic, like sort of like torture porn films, like oh, you yeah. like Human saw. Centipede, Saw. Oh, um, it's a it's a big reason why I'm not a fan at all of Lars von Trier, and like I've read the description for Antichrist, and like I felt physically ill. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we have these kind of films, I I will never see them. I and, you know part of me, it's part of me, it's like a moral thing where I just I don't like films that punish humans. Yeah. Like, I don't like misanthropy, and I'm not about kind of... I, I'm I'm a hopeful, optimistic person, so... Um, and then also, they're just so disturbing. Like, I can't even imagine watching that. So, like, why do people make these films? Why do people see them? Like, what is it about 
and they all have huge disturbing. followings too. I know. Yeah, it's weird. Right. <laughs> yeah, that is the that's the one genre as well that I'm not into. It's just like when it gets to the torture porn level, it's like this isn't entertaining. This is just gross. I don't I don't want to watch this. And yet people see them. Yeah. And I kind of wonder what like what is it about people that they like is it a morbid curiosity that they can't they have to know? I think with like movies like this, at least with the Human Centipede series, it's more of a morbid curiosity of like, how the hell is this movie a movie? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, why is this? Why was this made or something? But like, I can see more of Saw being like the Saw series being more of like a traditional, like not traditional, but like more mainstream. I do know that Saw has a lot with, to do with like mind games and stuff, yeah. and people mm-hmm. like. Um, seeing that kind of twisted, like logic type of t- types of movies that have like really interesting plots, but still have a, a, do- a healthy dose of gore thrown in. Whereas Human Centipede is just tor- torture porn for the sake of torture. Yeah, exactly. it's so gross. <laughs> I just, uh, Lauren, have you seen it? I watched a review um, of the first <laughs> one. And this particular reviewer, you know, it's the type of review where he talks and shows clips. And just that nearly made me gag. I was like, this is really, really not my cup of tea. <laughs> but, but again, it was that curiosity where I was like, I don't want to watch the full movie, but I'm kind of curious to hear what someone else has to say about it. So I watched a review. So, so I think the, yeah. the curiosity aspect. Yeah, I've definitely, I've read synopses of it because I don't want to see anything. So I'm kind of, like, familiar with the plot of the first movie. And then I've heard that the, the other two or other three films are more, like, like based on seeing the film. These creepos wanted to make uh, human centipedes. I, I don't know. I don't want to go into it, but it's just, like... Yeah, it's, it's... like I just it's can't like the, wrap my head around it. The, le- the later films get meta about it, which is kind of mm-hmm. oddly interesting about the fact that, you know, meta... Meta commentary on in horror films about horror films are kind of, is interesting, like Cabin in the Woods. But then, if it's more of like self-referential, then I don't about a torture porn movie making a torture porn movie. That's just weird. <laughs> I, I wonder it's if like, like oh, like, here's more torture porn. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if like the historical equivalent of like the tor- the popularity of the torture porn genre has to do with like kind of like it kind of matches with the whole body horror boom that was in like the 80s and stuff because there's always mm. kind of like two sides of of like the horror popularity there that's like mainstream um in each i guess era wave yeah and wait each wave of horror popularity so like we have monster horror and then the kind of and then like to sub the like flip side. the flip side of that is just kind of like really grotesque like monsters or something or like in the 80s there was i don't know it's I wonder, like, if it's always been, like, this running thread throughout history where people always, like, um, kind of go towards these tor- these sort of, like, really like dark. dark genres. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of... It's a, it's a weird, weird aspect of humanity who's fascinated by these kind of films. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is interesting because the genres, the popularity of certain genres seems to come and go with the ages, and certain things are popular in certain decades. Mm-hmm. Um, like, right now, we're in the found footage <laughs> of popularity that's been going on for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know in the 80s was the slashers and then in the 90s um there was the slashers with the meta with scream so it's interesting to kind of track that and you see what was popular when and you can kind of read into it a little bit and zombie movies are coming back too oh yeah yeah well, they were they've also they've always kind of been like in the background yeah and like mm-hmm. the 60s and 70s had like the night of the living deads and mm-hmm. all the george romero movies and then it wasn't until like in the mid 2000s that there was suddenly like a revamp of ironically uh, zombie movies, along with vampire movies, but like mm-hmm. the like the undead were suddenly popular again. And it started, uh, I think, with like Twenty Eight Days Later yeah. and those kind of movies. And definitely, once The Walking Dead became like a hit television show, suddenly everyone was capitalizing on making zombie stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I'm also like I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the series, but I have a feeling that like Twilight also played into the vampire thing. Oh, yeah, how insanely popular it is, and I'm sure I'm sure fans wanted to know more about vampires in general, mm-hmm. and it spawned a popularity. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you guys have any favorite zombie or vampire films? Um, I actually really liked. I saw this on cable, but I really liked Wolfman with Benicio del Toro. I well, oh. that, I love werewolves. Like that's yeah. my favorite. If I had to pick a favorite monster genre horror mm-hmm. thing, it's werewolves. So I really liked um, like this is gonna be this is gonna sound really cheesy, but the Alvin and the Chipmunks. They had a Halloween <laughs> special in which they met the Wolfman, oh. and it was really inter- It was really funny because it was like a classic Wolfman movie with Talbot, like, the guy, the guy who plays, like, the character mm-hmm. who, who turns into the Wolfman, mm-hmm. but it was, like, set in modern day, and the chipmunks are, like, huh. trying to see if he was real or not, and <laughs> it, it, it gets, it's classically Alvin and the Chipmunks, but um, that kind of, along with the cheesy films, like, uh, Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox. Yes. Uh, yes. Like, I love Teen Wolf, <laughs> unabashedly. Uh, I've seen the MTV reboot of it, in which they, they turn it into, like, uh, a high school like drama. It's kind of a, bu- a Buffy wannabe, honestly. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but there's something so charming and lovable about Michael J. Fox turning into a werewolf because it's a metaphor for puberty. So, what and, do you think of Hugh Jackman turning into a werewolf in Van Helsing? Uh, I actually, I've seen Van Helsing, and I actually watched the movie for Hugh Jackman turning into a werewolf because I just love werewolves. So much. <laughs> werewolves. Yeah, I don't where know. you also have Frankenstein and Dracula. It's like the Biggest mishmash. Yeah, like. if, if if I if that movie was good, like if it was like if it was if it was like if it was everything that we wanted it to be, it would be the best like horror movie mashup ever. But unfortunately, it looks like right. a weird ripoff of Underworld, uh, Dracula movies, and uh, just bad Hugh Jackman movies. Yeah, because uh, Kate Beckinsale is an, as a vampire hunter. Like, isn't she a vampire in Underworld? Yeah, that's very yep. weird. She keeps jumping up yeah. between two sides. But yeah, no, I love I love werewolves. Uh, I I've seen uh, an American werewolf in London, and I thought that like the transformation scenes in that in that movie are stunning. Like the fact that that movie was made in 1981, and it looks better than CGI today with like the Twilight movies. The what they did with Taylor Lautner. Ah, uh, yeah, he's just a giant wolf. <laughs> yeah, he's just a giant wolf. wolf. Yeah, I prefer for werewolves when there's the sort of graphic transformation scene, and it's generally... I like the animatronics or the guy in a suit as compared to the uh, CGI. <laughs> I think it looks a bit better. Yeah, yeah. the CGI I, doesn't really capture the weird human qualities that kind of animatronics does. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys ever see that um, 
was it, what's it called? Was it Dracula 2000 with Gerard Butler? I've heard of that. Yes. Was he Dracula? I don't, I've seen it like once a long time ago. It's so, yeah. <laughs> Same for me. I saw it once a long time ago. I remember, I think that was like one of my first, I think it was rated R, one of my first R-rated movies, um, because I was really into vampires because of Buffy at the time. And, uh, but yeah, that was not a great movie. Yeah, about <laughs> Dracula like the, in the year 2000? I've never heard of this movie, so please, someone give us a quick, a quick I, synopsis. It's, like set, it's set in modern day, and Jared Butler is, I don't. I forget if he's actually like Dracula or if he's just a vampire. Or is he like Keanu Reeves' character in Dracula? Uh, I, honestly, I can't remember. I just it's it's like it's very early two thousands. Like mm-hmm. if you watch it now and you're like you can pinpoint exactly when this movie came out. Oh, like yeah. Hamlet two thousand, where he does the speech in the blockbuster. Yes. Yeah, that's two thousand. Oh, the nineties. That was like two thousand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you have you have these films that don't they want to touch on the mythology like the luke evans dracula movie mm-hmm. that came out recently and you have these movies that like they want to explore a different side of the mythology and like they they can't yeah they just don't turn out very well and that was supposed to be the start of like a monster movie marvel cinematic universe yeah, yeah. yes didn't that was crazy that? when i heard that yeah didn't they turn into like an epic gladi- gladiator type um, film. Well, it was supposed to be like the untold story of how he became Dracula yeah. and why he became Dracula to save his family and his land, but it the trailers just made it look like it's an action movie. Yeah, it was like a giant battle or something, and he like mm-hmm. sacrificed his humanity so he could save his son or something. Yeah, something like I, that. Like I that. mean, I almost wonder, do people just not, they don't want the human story of Dracula. They don't care about that. Like, they want Dracula, who's a vampire, and he's like, I'm gonna suck your blood like they don't want to hear about like oh a sad tragic story about my son i kind of wonder if that's part of it dracula is a metaphor too and that could be why yeah. going back to werewolves for one second uh it could be why i, I was reading an e uh, entertainment weekly art uh uh article online about why werewolves never really took off as much as vampires did and it's because it's probably got the same issue is why a Hulk movie has never really been popular, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing what they were talking about, but they said that you don't want to see a man struggling with his humanity while turning into a monster. You want to see either the monster or a man. Like, you don't want to see both going on at the same time. And the fact that werewolves are primarily about transformation, that has never really kicked off with vampires because vampires, once you're transformed, you're transformed for life. You never go back to being mm-hmm. a human. You're a vampire. And then most vampire stories are about vampires and not the transformation from being a human to a vampire. Because mm, they're always, like, the one, like, in the same form anyways. Yeah. So I think that might be why the Dracula Untold movie didn't do well because it's about a man struggling to, to retain yeah. his humanity after turning into a monster. Also, and I yet, always I, hate when they, like, sexify a character <laughs> who's supposed to be very villainous and... Well, Dracula is always supposed to be, like, mesmerized. Yeah, I mean, like, he is, like, the symbol of seduction and stuff. But when they try to make him, like, they woobify him, basically. Like, mm-hmm. try to make him sympathetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. You don't want him to be... Yeah, you don't yeah. want to hear that. You don't want to have that sympathy for him. But speaking of, like, transformations, it's interesting because I feel like vampire stories can do that still. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies, and... I'm going to be honest here. One of my favorite Tom Cruise roles is Interview with a Vampire. Yes. Listen to me. Kim Lestat is fantastic. It's a great movie. But, like, Brad Pitt's I, character, I forget, Louis, mm-hmm. like, yeah. he definitely struggles with being a vampire. Like, he doesn't want to kill people. He wants to, like, live off, like, the blood of, like, rats and everything. So he is also struggling with becoming a vampire. Good point. Yeah, yeah but he still, but, like, commits, like, the, 
terrible deeds and stuff. But he has regret about it. He has regret. He's kind of like an an angel, like a vampire with a soul kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert for the third episode of Buffy. (laughs) (laughs) If any of you have not seen Buffy, you knew this was going to (laughs) happen. But yeah, Interview with the Vampire is so great. I love that movie. It is definitely, it's a wonderful movie and a movie that's stood the test of time. And and I agree, I think that is rare with uh, Interview with a Vampire and then the, the new Dracula movie. Um, the, the, you know, the, the vampire that's feeling remorse is very rare. I think it's, that's not done. It's, I agree. And that, what you, that article that you quoted, Willoughby, I think was very spot on that a lot of people, you know, it's too much. They don't want to have to deal with that. They just want the monster. Um, so that's why a lot of the time, uh, with vampires, it's just straight up the monster and that's it. That's why Lestat is... A more entertaining character than Louis, mm-hmm. right? Because he's because just fully, he's it. fully evil, and he's like, let's let's kill people and like mm-hmm. whatnot. And he's hilarious. Yeah, you need to have a foil. You can't have just like mm-hmm. one person moping the entire time about yeah. his regret of like massacring people. Which is why Angel the, the series probably didn't do so well as Buffy. It but was there's a lot of issues it was up and down. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So we've touched on this a little bit, but before we kind of wrap this up, I do want to talk about the meta horror films. Oh, like Cabin in the a Woods? A little bit more in depth. Yes, Cabin in the Woods is so good. So good. <laughs> and it's not even hiding the fact that it's meta. No, it, 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 in fact, it like, it basically talks, it describes how and why horror movies are horror movies to, like, it, they're means to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I don't want to spoil anything because it's a fantastic movie, but the re- like, there are a lot of, like, basically the in the beginning, you find out that there's this control center with Bradley Whitford and oh, I forget the other actor. Amy Acker. Amy Acker. And there's some other, there's another guy. And the three of them are kind of controlling these different horror movie type scenarios that play on in the world. And they look at it through screens and you can, with different cameras, and they look like they're watching different horror movies with different types of genres. And then you get the actual kids, teenagers who go into the cabin in a woods. And they, it starts out normal, but then it starts turning into like a crazy horror movie. But it's all commented on, and it's all about, it's all the meta part. Um, it's all and, completely like manufactured. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think that that is, it's a brilliant movie. Uh, I think Drew Goddard was the director. Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon wrote the script, and Goddard directed it. Yeah, and like I also love um, going back to what I said earlier about like misogyny and horror films and like the virgin trope, like the fact that like you don't. They don't have a female character in that like this. You don't have, like, the slut and the virgin. What they have is that they have these two female characters, and the people in the control room, like, they create, they sort of put, like, toxins in the air sort of thing, and they make one of them the slut-type character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They try to mold them in the image of, like, that stereotype. And they do that with the other yeah. male characters, too. Like, mm-hmm. the Chris Hemsworth character in the beginning is, like, this really, like, smart, look, smart guy who is also very handsome, but then in the by the by the middle of the movie he's this dumb jock and i think that he 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 become they all become their their alleged stereotypes by the middle of the movie because of what Bradley Whitford and the other guys are doing in the control center and then but that but then there's still like they're still trying to retain themselves yeah yeah it's very well done it's a nice commentary on like not just the genre, but also Hollywood too, yeah. because like the mm-hmm. whole like scientists in the lab manufacturing everything is very much a commentary on that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, are there any other meta horror films that is Shaun of the Dead recommend? Meta? 
It's more horror comedy. More I horror think. comedy. I mean, it's yeah. meta in the fact that they're like they're aware of the genre mm-hmm. and like they're, they're genre savvy. That's a thing. Oh, Lauren, can you explain New Nightmare because I've heard it tossed around a lot. Yes. when Wes Craven passed away. Um. Yeah, I watched that. Uh, that was, that's a really great film. Um, I've only seen it once, but it's really where well done. Where it's it's uh, you know uh, it's in this the um, uh, Nightmare on, Nightmare on Elm Street series. And I don't know what number it is. It's it's one of the further numbers, one of the further numbered sequels. Um, but the premise for it is that it uh, takes place in the real world, in our world, in the world where the actors who are in these films, um, the uh, Heather Lang- Langenkamp, who plays uh, Nancy in the original movie, um, it follows her as an actress, and it also has Robert England. Um, Playing him himself as the as the actor who portrays Freddy, um, and it takes place in the real world, but some strange things start happening, and it's like the world of Wes Craven and the Nightmare on Elm Street is blending over into our world, hmm. and it's determined to, about that Freddy might be real, and um, uh, Nancy then has to take on the role of her character in these movies that she plays in order to fight him uh, and, and, and subdue him. It's really, really well done. Um, it's sort of the ultimate meta in the terms of the, the film is referenced in the film over and over, and it's, it's just really entertaining. That's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Is that, like, a new trend that's coming around because we have that and, like, The Final Girls, which just came out recently, too, and it's about... Uh, kids who go to see a horror movie and then actually get sucked into the horror movie itself and have to, like, predict what's going to happen like next. Pleasantville meets Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, New Nightmare actually came out in ni- 1994. Oh, really? Um, oh. Yeah, so it was kind of ahead of its time <laughs> in a bit. Um, Cause then, but yeah, Because then Wes Craven then made Scream, which is about these kids mm-hmm. who kind of, one of the, at least a couple of the kids in the, in the movie know all about horror movies and mm-hmm. they kind of try and figure out how to... Like, like navigate this story mm-hmm. with horror movie tropes, and then I think later screams do the same thing that New Nightmare did, right? Where it was like they were making movies about the scream, yeah, about, about the about the events of for, of the first scream in the universe of scream, right? Yeah, yeah, they were totally they totally did that in the in the sequels. Um, I think they, I think it was called. I don't know if it was called Scream in the movie. I think it was like Slasher or something. But they they title it differently, but yeah, it was totally meta in that sense. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think um, the final girls is the most the the one that I can think of most recently that's doing this. I, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but I, I want there to be more because it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it makes it more. I think it also makes it a little bit more palatable for people who don't like horror, mm-hmm. like us. <laughs> <laughs> so do uh, do we have any other points of discussion that we want to talk about? With horror? I'm good. Okay. Uh, Why don't we move on to our love-hate segment then? So, um, Lauren, since you're our guest, why don't you tell us what you love this week, what you hate this week, or what you love to hate? Yes. um, So, I love this week uh, the newest trailer for the film, 
uh, Pride and Prejudice in Zombies. It's keeping with our theme. Um, that that trailer was released, and it looks amazing, and I'm really excited. Um, it comes out on February 5th. Um, the director is Burr Steers, and it stars Lily James, uh, Lena Headey, and Matt Smith, which is a great cast. And um, I'm just really looking forward to it. Have you Have you guys watched the trailer at all? I, saw I it, have. I, I saw it yesterday, and I really... It looks so awesome. <laughs> it looks so... It really does. Like, I read... I think the guy who who wrote the book also wrote uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yep. Uh, yeah, Seth, Seth I, Graham Smith. I read maybe about two-thirds of that book before college got in the way, and I couldn't, like, find the time to finish it. But I really liked the idea of, like, taking these historical characters or figures like Lincoln uh, or with characters like uh, Lizzie Bennet and all those people and, like making the, like, having horror, like, thrown in there and, like, doing these, like, alternative versions. They're almost like, it's almost like fan fiction, but, like, in, like, a good, like, a like a professional way. It's, like, it's interesting. Yeah. It actually looks way better than I thought it would, because when I heard of the premise, it just sounded like the most ridiculous, over-the-top thing. But <laughs> it actually, like, it works somewhat well in that <laughs> world. Um, so, like, they ha- kind of have everything in Pride and Prejudice, like, high stakes when it comes to, like, marriage and stuff because if you don't get married at a certain age to, like, a person of a certain, like, wealth, then you will die and, <laughs> alone and widowed and, like, poor. So this one just ups the stakes in a more life-and-death way in terms of, like, actual Yeah, and hopefully it turns out to be better than the adaptation of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter because that movie it wasn't spectacular. Yeah. No, it was fun, but it wasn't yeah. great. I Where think it like came out the same year as Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. That was probably um, yeah. purposeful. That yeah. was that was kind of hilarious how that coincided. <laughs> um, and yeah, Pride and Britain Zombies. It just it looks really good. Like the the cast is high caliber. You know, you have Lena Headey and Charles Dance, both from Game of Thrones. And, then Matt um, Smith. and Matt Smith is there playing Mr. Um, Collins. Yeah, but also Sam Riley as Darcy. I'm really excited because I loved him in Maleficent. <laughs> oh, yes. He played Diabol. Mm-hmm. I looked at that last night and I was like, oh, that's that guy. Yeah, <laughs> and I really liked him, so I'm excited. And the fact that this movie is so, like, female-centric mm-hmm. and that the women all seem to be totally badass. Very excited. Like, I love that line by Mr. Bennett of, like, you know, my women, my daughters are trained for combat, not the kitchen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, just, like, slicing oh. open zombies in their empire dresses. That last shot in the trailer with, like, the POV shot of the zombie. It's so great. Oh, my God. Yeah. So awesome. That was really well done. <laughs> I'm really excited. Yeah. That is a great choice. Um, I'm going to go next because I'm really excited. <laughs> cool. So my thing this week is yesterday I watched the entirety of Cartoon Network's miniseries Over the Garden Wall. Hmm. I've not heard of that. I haven't heard of that either. Okay. All right. So it's a miniseries, um, Emmy Award winning miniseries on Cartoon Network. It is just 10 episodes and they're 10 minutes long. So it's super easy to get through. Um, And it's an animated sort of fantasy tale. It's so clever. It's so funny. Um, it's about these two brothers, Greg and Wirt. Wirt's the older brother. And they find themselves in a realm called the Unknown. And they're trying to get back home. And they end up 
meeting different characters, like a bluebird who can talk. Her name's Beatrice. And there's a beast in the woods. And they somehow find, there's an episode where they find themselves sort of in, like, the afterlife. Um, But it's done in a really clever way where you don't really realize it till the end. It's really interesting. Um, The older brother, Wirt, is voiced by Elijah Wood. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's great. And then um, other people in the cast who are well-known, Christopher Lloyd's in it. Ah! Oh, wow. uh, 1.21 gigawatts. (laughs) (laughs) And um, John Cleese is also in it. Oh, wow. It's really funny. It sort of has that kind of, like, funny humor, like, in sort of Adventure Time, um, but not quite as... Trippy? uh, Yeah. Um... But yeah, so it's very easy to get through. I watched it all in one go. It's, you know, it's like an hour and a half when you put all the episodes together. And it's so cute and fun. Um, And it's, right now it's the perfect time to watch it because it's all set in, like, autumn. And there's, like, an episode with, like, these pumpkin people. And it's all very, like, autumn-centric and creepy and mysterious. It's wonderful. I highly recommend it. It's created by Patrick McHale. Um, who also worked on Adventure Time, and I super recommend it. This uh, this week, actually, the upcoming week, Card Network is re-airing it hmm, cool. uh, in the evening. So if you guys have that, you should check it out. Over if, the Garden Wall, it's we, wonderful. If we don't have the time to watch it live or recording, uh, where is it streaming anywhere? It is on Hulu. Uh, you have to have a Hulu subscription. Okay. I actually bought that so I could watch Mindy Project. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> same, girl, same. Um, so now you have it. So you can also watch Over the Garden Wall. And it's just really wonderful. Like, at least try out the first episode. It's really funny. You will find yourself, like, out loud laughing. It sounds really high concept for Cartoon Network, which has actually been, has kind of a bad track record with keeping shows that are appeal to people other than, like, their... Uh, on, guys. Yeah, they're preteen and mm-hmm. ki- boy demographic. Like they cut a lot of shows that cough, cough, Young Justice. Yes, I'm still <laughs> upset <laughs> about Young Justice. Yeah, and like that's interesting. That I hope they're going to embrace more of those kind of high concepts, more wider demographic shows because they've kind of been disappointing me with like you know Teen Titans Go is kind of this really sh- a shadow of the Teen Titans series. And yeah. So- I would check this mm-hmm. out. It's um, it's just a mini series. There's no announcement for any other season, and I think this is also interesting because it's like sort of the first like, like solid mi- animated kids mini series. Mm-hmm. Usually, you don't have that, um, but this one is, and it's like a fully self-contained story with like really unique characters. Wirt, uh, Elijah Wood's character is very. He just wants to get home. He's kind of a skeptic. Um, he's, um, a bit afraid of things, and his little brother Greg is random, really happy, likes to make friends, um, he has a frog, he has a pet frog, who he, like, renames, like, 20 times throughout the series, (laughs) um, it's, yeah, so it's really cute with these wonderful characters that you get kind of attached to. Um, and there's a big emotional hit at the end of the series, which I was not, I love when animation does that. I love, yeah, that's, that's so great when you get hit with that. And it's like, I was not expecting that from something. Pretty much. (laughs) Animated. I'm a huge fan of animation. So I'm always looking for a new, like animated series. Cause I feel like they always pleasantly surprise you. And like, you can do so much more storytelling actually with with animation. Cause there's no boundaries. Please check it out. So Mm -hmm. that's my, that's awesome. 
All right, I'll go next. Um, so we can save. I know your discussion will probably last the next, the rest of the episode. Yes. Um, but my, my, what I love this week is the Jessica Jones trailer. It's our fu- first full length yes. trailer for Jessica Jones, which is a Marvel Netflix series coming out November twentieth. They're dropping all thirteen episodes for streaming. Um, I talked about it in our TV episode. Um, but I'm really excited for it because this is the first time we get actual footage of the show and it looks great. Like Kristen Ritter, I had my doubts about because she's kind of always played sort of floozy characters and just, she doesn't seem very much in line with Jessica, who's very kind of torn and has a lot of post-traumatic stress and is kind of, I guess, thicker and rougher than I imagined like Kristen Ritter to be, who's like very thin and kind of very like but she's great in, the, in like the trailer from what i've seen of her and yeah, um, it also looks like marvel's darkest oh definitely yes. like even darker than daredevil i'd say it's darker than daredevil because i think the character is has less like pure intentions than daredevil has like daredevil is just like about justice and she's also done yeah. a lot of darker stuff than <laughs> daredevil yeah has. she's done a lot of darker stuff and i think the villain is Way darker than way. I'm I'm a little bit nervous about yeah. the purple. I'm, I'm honestly like when the when I heard the cast David Tennant, um, I was not that pleased with it because everyone loves David Tennant. Anyone who's seen Doctor Who is in love with David Tennant. He is like a hero. Yes, he's a hero in the geek community, and it's hard for him to put to be like not sympathetic because he just has like that whole Doctor Who following of people and like a history of just being like one of the greatest characters. Um, and Purple Man is the worst. Like, the, I'm not saying that, like, in, with any um, hyperbole. Like, he is, like, basically a rapist who is just, like, the most awful person ever. And if they give him any, like, hint of sympathy at all, it would be very disturbing and would make basically upset me. So casting David Tennant kind of brings along that whole, like, natural sympathy kind of thing. So it's it'll be it'll be interesting if they do pull it off. It's... It's a fine line, I think. I think David Tennant could do a really good job with mm-hmm. it, yeah. it with, with the material given. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the, the material given is good. I agree. I hope so. And just from his voiceovers, he sounds terrifying. He does. He sounds very creepy. So I'm excited. I mean, we've seen him do villains before. He was Barty Crouch Jr. in Harry Potter. And yeah. He was creepy in that. <laughs> with Wasn't a tongue. great guy. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? He was there for like 10 minutes. Yeah. So. This is a bit different. Yes. Yeah. This is I'm, just the main antagonist. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he was probably he's probably really looking forward to this role because it's so different and so you know darker than other things that he's done. Um, so I'm guessing it was probably a good chance for him to step out of his comfort zone, maybe, and you know do something that people aren't used to seeing him as. Um, so yeah, yeah it should, that sure. should be really interesting. Yeah, so I'm excited. I'm going to be binge watching that whole se- that whole season yeah. when it comes out that weekend. So it's going to be great. Yes. All right, Willoughby. All right, Willoughby. Okay, so... <laughs> Brace yourselves. I don't know if you guys heard, but there's a space movie coming out in <laughs> A little indie film. A little indie oh, film. Yeah. I think Spaceballs? by an animation company. They're doing some live-action stuff now. Um, <laughs> and basically, the Star Wars trailer dropped on Monday. It was the greatest thing. I'm, I've watched it maybe about 50 times now. With, along with the music-only version that Disney released that Anya tweeted me about... It is the greatest thing because the first thing that I noticed in that trailer was that the music is amazing. It's, they're doing this nostalgic bit in the middle where they say, 
Um, there are stories, and Han Solo goes, it's real, all of it, jet, the dark side, a Jedi, it's all real, and they're playing Han Solo and the princess theme song at the, at the same time, and it's brand new, composed by John Williams, He's, the Millennium Falcon is flying around Jakku, and it's just, oh my god, I just love everything about it. Willoughby's real excited, you guys. <laughs> and it starts off with Rey, and so she, you know, at this point, that she's probably the main character, you know, she's a scavenger, and she's going through a, de- a Star Destroyer that's on Jakku. That if you've read Lost Stars, you know where that Star Destroyer comes from. Um, but she's going through it, and she's running around, and she, she probably meets up with Finn at some point, who's also you know, on his own path. He's looks like he's actually, he was, instead of just being in a Stormtrooper outfit like Han and Luke are in, in A New Hope, it looks like he actually is a Stormtrooper defecting now. Um, and yes, Poe Dameron so is is all tortured up it, uh, with Gosh. Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren is doing things. He's he's you know running around trying to make the best out of Darth Vader's legacy doing, or something. Doing things that Darth Vader would not approve of. Yeah, yeah. Darth Vader. Is, I, obviously, at the end of Return of the Jedi, that is not privy information to the known world because apparently. No. Kylo Ren still thinks of Darth Vader as this great Dark Lord of the Sith, and he's going to continue his legacy. Um, literally monologuing to his skull. Literally monologuing. He's a Hamlet, <laughs> and he's like the Dark Lord of Hamlet. Um, yes. <laughs> and so you get, you get him being like, you know, I, I've i told Anya this before. I'm pretty sure this movie is going to be about the legacy of the characters of the first trilogy, because they all, they're, you know, they're t- like it's referenced directly saying, I'm going to finish what you started with Kylo Ren talking about Darth Vader's legacy. It's uh, Rey and Finn asking, you know, there were stories about what happened, and then Han Solo's like, it all happened. It's all real. Now, interestingly, Oscar Isaac has said in interviews, of course, Anya is the one I'm bringing up Poe Dameron because I love him. Um, (laughs) um, Interestingly, Oscar Isaac has said in interviews that, like, Poe Dameron has grown up with stories Mm -hmm. about... Han and Luke and Leia, and, like, they're his heroes. So it seems that some people do tell the stories, but maybe the First Order is trying to, like, suppress the stories, and they're saying, no, it's not true. So you kind of have a faction who still believes in it. And, like, if Leia... Leia's the one who gives Poe Dameron a mission, so she's still involved. Right. It seems seems to me that that maybe Poe grew up with those stories because I know that in one of the the post-Return of the Jedi books that's come out... That you you get to learn about his parents a little bit. The da- yeah, so it's in the four part comic. Yeah, so he he's obviously grown up with the Rebel Alliance, the New Republic, the Resistance, like whatever they're called now. Uh, he's he's grown up with those stories, but someone like Rey or Finn, who might be, or at least Rey, who's probably grown up on Jakku or somewhere, she probably, which I am assuming is an outer rim planet. She hasn't learned all the stories, and maybe Finn has a twisted version of the stories because he's a stormtrooper. Yeah. So yeah. it's possible that, like, you know, information isn't as solid as it is in our world. You know, it seems to me, you know, because it's a galaxy of planets. It's a big place. It's a big place. Yeah. So Han Solo's <laughs> probably like, yeah, it all happened. You know, which is really funny because on Tumblr and a lot of different places, people are comparing how, you know, in the beginning of A New Hope, he's like, you know, um, I don't believe in some hokey religion is going to help you, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of it, he say the dark side, a Jedi, it's all real. Like, Han has gone from being a skeptic to a true believer. He's a truther. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a Luke Skywalker truther. So proud of you, Han. you uh, come so far. So I am very, 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 very excited for this movie. <laughs> I have my next 3D tickets for December 17th. I'm ready to go. I'm, 
you know, scoping out for any new footage that might show up in between the between now and December 17th because they're obviously going to have to start marketing this with TV spots. Are you sure? Well, they don't need to market this movie. It's already broken. I know. They don't, but they probably will because it's Disney and it's Hollywood. So, I mean, but as you, as you, as you saw in the trailer, not a lot was revealed, even yeah. of the plot, which I think... That, which is, I how think they... that is how you do a trailer, because yeah. J.J. Abrams is a very secretive director, and yes. he will not let any of like his twists be revealed. And coupled that with the Disney marketing machine, you will make a great trailer that, that at the same time brings hype and reveals nothing. Yeah, which is it's funny, because like we already know what's going to happen in Marvel Civil War. Mm-hmm. Like We already know a lot of what's happening in Marvel. We know the teams. Which is Disney, yeah. which is like... The, the two sides of the same coin. Like, they bought these different companies, mm-hmm. and you can tell that they're not just putting their hands in the pots. They're giving the, their money to the, the, the pots, but Disney, Marvel's obviously doing their own thing, and they're letting Lucasfilm do their own thing mm-hmm. with making a Star Wars trailer that reveals everything and nothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. But, like, do you remember the marketing around Age of Ultron? It was terrible. You, you there were that. TV you, spots every week. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we saw half the movie. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen with Star Wars. Yeah, I don't I think so it will. Too. I don't think it will because they've only released three trailers in the past year. Um, no TV spots yet. They had that one little 15 second Instagram video, but all that showed up in a trailer later. So, like, I think we're we're in for a, a real treat uh, coming Me come too. December. They're not even I'm showing looking, any press screenings. Oh yeah, please go ahead. Sorry, no. I was just gonna say I'm looking forward to being surprised yeah. and and not knowing what's gonna happen for so, once. Like I really like speculating. Yeah. Like Anya yeah. and I were talking last night about like what could happen, and we were trying to figure out how oh, these God. characters are meeting up and what the lightsaber has to do with anything. So of course, because nothing is revealed, the fan theories are going wild. wild. And it's fun. We, we still it's don't know fun. if Rey is a solo or a Skywalker or a Skywalker solo or a solo Organa. Like who knows? <laughs> or like where is Luke? Huh? Hashtag where's Luke? Yeah, hashtag where's Luke? <laughs> Luke, they are purposely keeping him heading guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. I I think Luke's fine. He I have not, other I concerns about Oh, no, yeah, film. I know who you're concerned I about. I do not think he is evil. That is my, my No. My I but refuse. There is a prevalent theory on the internet now that Luke Skywalker is evil or is somehow mm. Kylo Ren which doesn't really that make doesn't, sense that doesn't make sense Adam, Adam, Adam Driver <laughs> Adam Driver is we've seen him like... with this with the, with the helmet off at the Vanity Fair shoot he's Adam Driver oh my god yeah and also like people keep saying oh well we've never seen him in clips face forward and I'm like oh okay guys it's Adam Driver like calm down also like even if Luke is straddling the dark side in some way he had his moment with his dad at the end of Return of the Jedi he's not going to be like I'm Unless he's like, I'm going to continue your legacy in trying to like topple the first order from the inside. Yeah. Like, which I don't only think did he's going to. 15 seconds of his yeah. life. He decided halfway through, yeah. He was like, yeah, <laughs> I think this guy is shooting. Is he shooting my son with lightning? That's not fun. Hey, stop that. And he just throws him down the Several dead young yep. later. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, um, I think, I mean, it was affirmed at the end of Return of the Jedi that Luke Skywalker is a Jedi like his father before him. So I don't think he's going to be turning evil anytime soon. No, that's a very weird theory. That's <laughs> we'll see. But oh my, yeah, <laughs> you just get people who want to destroy your childhood. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> George Lucas already did that with the prequels, so it's fine. I know <laughs> we're we're immune to it yeah. now. Yeah, we're good. We're good. So, um, so that, that's we what will, I'm excited about. Uh, so we will be having an episode on Star Wars 
um, a little bit later down the line, closer to the movie coming out. So there will be plenty more of this. Yes. <laughs> um, It'll be me being like, what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what happened in the uh, expanded it might, universe? It might be the Anya and Willoughby show for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I will be the audience surrogate asking what is going on. Like You'll be uh, Ariadne in, in Inception. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Exposition person. Um. So... Willoughby, where can they find the Millennial Falcon on the internet? You can find our podcast, Millennial Falcon, at Falcon Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we also have, if you search for us on Facebook, we have a Facebook page. We have a SoundCloud page. And you can subscribe, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate, do that. Rate and review us, please. Yes. Yeah. And where can we find think. you on the internet? Who, me? Uh, yes, you. You can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. And, uh, yeah. I am at HTranBooey on Twitter. And Lauren, what about you? Do you have an t- internet handle? Yes, you can find me at Lauren the Hobbit on Twitter. <laughs> awesome. And then you can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. So, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for joining us. And thank, thank you for coming you. on, Lauren. Thank, thank you. you so much. It was so fun. <laughs> awesome. All right. Great. All right. Bye, so everyone. Bye. Bye.